Wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that could help you sleep, focus, act, or be better? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can change your life. I know because it's definitely helped me too. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. If you're overwhelmed, Headspace has three-minute SOS meditations for you. Need some help falling asleep? They can help you with wind-down sessions their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has stuff that you could do with your kids too. And their approach to mindfulness can help you reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Like I said, I use Headspace as well. I used to use it back in the day, then I got off of it for a while to use another tool. But then, honestly, I came back to it, and it's even better. The voicing, the meditation, it definitely, even just with five minutes a day, it really changes everything for me. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Incredible. So you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash SPI. That's headspace.com slash SPI for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash SPI today. So I want to do a little thought experiment with you, if you don't mind us playing this game for a little bit. I want to go back into time back to 2008 and it's June 18th 2008 this is the day after I was laid off from my architecture job and I'm not feeling very good about myself and you and I we run into each other and you hear about this layoff of mine what would you say to me to make me feel better how, how would you get me out of that slump would you well this is the thought experiment that we run in today's episode with our guest, Roberto Blake, somebody who is known for helping build brands from the ground up, helping creative entrepreneurs make money with their creativity and their skills. And this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to listen to, especially if you're just at the start of your journey. But even if you're not, you're going to learn some important insights from Roberto Blake, who's just crushing it on YouTube right now. A big inspiration to me. So you can put that phone in your pocket. You could turn the volume up. You can get ready to go on your walk. This is going to be one to listen to. Thanks so much for listening in. Let's cue the music. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he once had long hair and a goatee in college, and it was weird. Pat Flynn. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today. This is session 317 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And my name is Pat Flynn. I'm here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today we got Roberto Blake in the house, a big inspiration to me and a big reason why my YouTube channel just passed the 100,000 subscriber mark. He's got a huge fan base as well. If you are part of the Roberto Blake tribe, uh, you guys are awesome, obviously. And thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Make sure you hit subscribe to the show if you haven't already and sit back, listen in. This is Roberto Blake from robertoblake.com, helping you create awesome stuff. That's what he does. Roberto, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Pat. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm excited for a number of reasons. Number one, you and I have connected uh, on many stages and levels this year, and you've helped me out so much with my YouTube channel. We actually dive a lot into your story about how you got started in our little tactics in a Tesla video on YouTube. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes so people can dive a little bit more into your story and watch us ride in a, in a Tesla and talk about how to crush YouTube. Um, but I wanted to also, just for people who don't know who you are, can you in a minute or two, kind of, what do you do, Roberto? So I'm a creative entrepreneur who has a background in advertising, design, and marketing. And what I currently do is I'm the founder of Awesome Creator Academy, and I also run my own small digital agency, Create Awesome Media, where we focus on video marketing and consulting for brands and businesses. We also help them with growing their relationship with influencers. So I have my hand in a lot of different online ventures, but running those two primary businesses. Awesome Creator Academy being my, you know, coaching where I work with people to build their brand and, you know, market themselves, mm -hmm. uh, develop their social media presence, and then awesome uh, create awesome media, 
where I do that with workshops and with consulting for the businesses. So right now, those are my primary focuses. But I put out a lot of content, as you well know, on YouTube to help other people that are creatives or entrepreneurs. And we'll definitely talk about that. And I think what's important, about, like one of the things I, w- I definitely want to dive into uh, later in this conversation is how you create so much great content. I think a lot of people, whether they're cr- they consider themselves creatives or not, um, they struggle with you know this hamster wheel that we feel like we're on with you know having to consistently uh, sacrifice to the Google gods or you know the, the YouTube <laughs> gods like we were just talking about to to hopefully break it through. And you've done it very well. I mean, your subscribership on YouTube is crushing it. You just passed three hundred thousand subscribers. So congratulations on that. Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, and, you just and you, crossed one hundred k yourself. So I, congratulations all around. I did. Yes, thank you. And so. We're going to skip more about your story. We'll save that for the Tesla video, and we'll, again, link Such that a in, good video. in the show notes. Yeah, it was so much fun. But I do want to talk to specifically the creatives in the audience. Can you define for us what a creative or who a creative actually is, and then we'll dive into how to help them? Well, everyone has creativity in them, Pat, and I think you understand that we're all born with creativity and curiosity and a desire to explore the world and also to build things in it. But for a lot of people, that gets drilled out of them by the time they're 10 or 12 years old. And they stop being creative. They stop questioning things. Their intellectual curiosity gets stunted and they get locked into this narrow funnel of just absolute ruthless practicality and systemization and they don't question things and challenge things because they've been taught that that's being a bother, it's inconvenient, it makes them unmanageable. So it's very hard for most people to hold on to their creativity. Creatives are the people who've managed to go through that sifting and fire process and have stayed hungry to challenge the world, to make new things and bring it into it and not accept the world that's been presented to them. They dream to imagine something more and greater and they work toward the materialization of that thing. And I think you know that better than most people as somebody who went from playing with Legos as a kid to designing, you know, and wanting to have these great magnificent buildings and things done with your career as an architect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people in the audience are those who, you know, they've always been creative and has sort of stood out amongst others as, you know, being the type to always want to build things. They hadn't lost that thing that you know all kids have but then like me there was a number of people because even in architecture i lost that i mean i was i was drilling down on autocad and i i lost the fun behind it in in some moments even though i completely loved my job but i think getting out of architecture allowed me to explore and be fully creative myself and i think a lot of people are in that position now where they are doing something and maybe they they lost touch of their creative side but they know that it's there somewhere and that's why they're exploring online business and, 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 you know, freelancing and doing all these other things to, to hopefully get some of that back. And you've done a great job of doing that yourself and helping others do the same. Before we get into the tactics and stuff, mindset-wise, what does it take for a person who's a creative to actually succeed as creating something of their own in this online space? Because I think a lot of creatives, you know, I've talked to a lot of artists before and, and, and you know, designers who have wanted to break through and build their own thing, but they just they feel stuck and they they have no idea how to break out of that mentally. And we all know that the mental part is the most important part. What would you say to them? Well, one of the things is they get discouraged because they're not seeing a result either in the form of monetary gain immediately up front because, you know, they do need to feed themselves and there's anxiety attached to that. Or if they're doing it and they're trying to build and market themselves and build an audience and a following, they're working so hard to do all this stuff that nobody quote unquote sees and they get discouraged and they I constantly hear it from people. Why make something if no one's going to see it in Instagram or YouTube or whatever, if I'm going to get buried, everything's already already been done and they get they get really discouraged and my answer to that from a mindset standpoint is you have to absolutely remove all of your emotional attachment to those numbers it is gratifying as they can be as gratifying as the acceptance and the accomplishment there can be and you have to completely fall in love with the process and the craft again and knowing that you turned a thought into a thing and i know it sounds really woo woo and fluffy but it's the most powerful thing when you love the process because then you know like realistically something we've talked about and heard in entrepreneur land so much is that 
all success is a byproduct of work. There is no success, you know, without work. The only time success comes before work is like in the chronological alphabetical order in the dictionary. of words in the <laughs> dictionary. And that's it. You know, that's the only time when success comes before work. Right. So that's real to me. And if people love the work that they're doing, then it means when things are hard, they will keep going regardless, which means they have a better chance of succeeding than the person who quits halfway through, Pat. So how do you get started then? Do you do it on the side? Because like you said, we need, you know, we need to feed ourselves. Um, what's the best way to get started with all this? You can absolutely do it on the side. And the thing is, what I tell people is do something very simple. Give yourself at least a 30-minute window of time when everything is said and done to where you're going to do this work and you're going to force yourself to get fast. You're going to force yourself to do the best job you can in 30 minutes. Some people think that they can't produce something of, of quality in 30 minutes. And I beg to differ. You'd be surprised what you can accomplish in 30 minutes. Part of what my own personal experience with this is I remember back in school, we used to get like weeks upon weeks to do one project that we're going to present. And then I remember agency life working at an ad agency and needing to comp stuff in two hours. You know what deadlines are like, Pat. So when you give yourself a time constraint, you're putting in um, some constraints here from this blank canvas, and all of a sudden, that's a challenge, and creatives rise to the challenge that they're presented with. If you have 30 minutes to do something, you'll use the 30 minutes. But if I gave you two hours, you'd probably produce the same thing with two hours, and it wouldn't be that much better. Maybe it's 5% better. But you and I both know that 5% isn't uh, enough of a difference in quality to charge that much more for it. So mm-hmm. I, I think realistically, if somebody is working a nine to five job and they have an hour commute and they're exhausted, they're going to give 30 minutes to something. They're going to give 30 minutes to literally sitting in their armchair or maybe watching something on the television or flipping through social media anyway. Why not give the 30 minutes back to yourself to create something that represents you and that you're proud to put your name on and just to know I have a thing. And if you did that every single day, that's where my philosophy comes from. Create something awesome today. Also the name of my podcast, but it's a, it's not just a tagline or anything. It's like, it's the philosophy that I feel like saved me in the sense that if you dedicate yourself to a single execution every day, you could have a 50% failure rate and the end of a year, you'd still have over 150 mm. results to show for yourself that and every one of those 150 things you made could do something for you because it only takes one. I love that. And I love that in terms of the micro level of creating these pressures and these constraints. I think that's very powerful because, I mean, for me and many other people, knowing there's a deadline there is going to get us moving, right? But then Absolutely. let's zoom out a little bit and talk about the macro level. And I think we all know that we should set macro deadlines for things as well. But I think a lot of times we put false constraints in there, things that don't actually provide the pressure that's needed. And for me, I got really, quote, lucky, and, and it really was, that I got let go. Because then my pressures were, hey, I have this wedding to pay for, and I, you know, I, have, to, I have to make it work, and I have no other choice. And I guarantee you, if I didn't get let go from my architecture position, I wouldn't be here talking to you. People wouldn't be here listening to us. And I wouldn't be a business owner because I had been pushed out. And I think that we all know we need to do the work, but we don't feel forced to do it in some way because we didn't get let go or we don't have this real deadline. It's, we, we create a, like We might say, oh, we want to finish this project in two months, but then... Like, what happens if you don't? Nothing. I mean, you're just where, where you were before. There's no negative, real negative consequence. So how do you structure macro constraints such that a person would, you know, actually feel compelled to do the work? Necessity is the mother of invention. What you talked about with the macro pressure, that's very real. For me, I think for a lot of people, if they really focused on what they're dissatisfied with their life and they challenge themselves to be a champion in their own life and that they could slay their dissatisfaction, I think if they literally put down a list of the things they're unhappy with in their life and made those targeted things in an almost aggressive adversarial way, mm-hmm. um, that that 
lets them from a mindset perspective start to make real progress because they have something to fight against that they've clearly defined if they don't have a larger and i would hope in some ways in a weird way i must hope they don't have a larger macro pressure like knowing that they're getting ready to lose their job in the next 60 30 90 days but for the people who do need something that um serious i would say that there's a couple of things they can look at the culture of work and the future of work is shifting Automation is real. The culture of work is such to where pensions that our parents and grandparents got, that's dead to us, Pat. Like yeah. <laughs> nobody is coasting to a pension. Mommy and daddy's advice. I mean, I hate to say something almost like borderline controversial here, but basically if you're aside from like, you know, good parenting advice and certain basic things, I would challenge people that if your parents made their money before the cell phone the smartphone before the iPhone came out in, uh, what, 2007, or if they made their money pre-Facebook, that any advice they give you career-wise or business-wise is outdated and is probably a bad idea at this point just because they had the luxury of a cultural system that was not open to disruption and to where decades could go by with no real major societal, cultural, or infrastructure change. They grew up in that and that's no longer the case. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different environment. They grew up in this lush, decent prairie where they could farm and grow things. You grew up in the desert. Their advice in that regard is not coming from a place that's as harsh and unforgiving. Uh, for all of our benefits of technology, the job market, as you know, Pat, is not what it was. We we had the uh, you know things like the recession. Um, we're in a bull market right now. It's got the other shoes got to drop at some point. Um, college kids not being able to use their degree or find employment. So mm -hmm. those pressures should be real enough to people to understand that there is no such thing as job security. And so the only way that you can make yourself truly future proof and guarantee yourself. Um, the ability to produce income and provide for yourself and your family is to take ownership and control of your ability to work, your ability to produce a result, take control of your reputation and your standing, and take control of your body of work. You could be let go, and all the credentials and accolades and things you work for, your employer could tell you that you don't have the freedom to use that to pursue other employment or your future. That happens to people on a regular basis, and they're unprepared for it. If people need fear and a little bit of anxiety to motivate them, I want them to imagine the process and cycle of what happens if they're let go today, no fault of their own, or more like realistically for some people. What if the company goes under tomorrow? You did everything you could, but the company goes under, they have some kind of reputation-based thing, and even just being associated with that company would make you a persona non grata in the traditional market. What do you do now? So how do you build a business out of a skill that you have so that you can stay above the surface in that situation? Well, you and I as people who have employed um, other people to work for us, either in, in freelancers or in your case, uh, in the case of Team Flynn, you know that entrepreneurs and business owners absolutely value skill and clear demonstrations of skill and value. Mm -hmm. The thing to get started would be know that you own a solid 30, 50 pieces of work that represents you that is not beholden to anybody else that demonstrates your knowledge and your skills. And in addition to that, I would say you need documentation of your expertise in the form of some type of co public commentary on the nature of your craft and your industry. And that could take the form of blog post that you can write out. If you don't have a own, your own website or, or uh, blog, uh, you and I both use Bluehost for that. You could use medium.com, it's completely free. Or more practically, you could go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn is one of the most powerful publishing platforms right now. And it allows you to not only post articles, and that could give you some more credibility and you can do commentary on the industry. You could start a group for other professionals like you to have open conversations about the industry. And by starting the group and leading it and curating it, you become a thought leader in that micro arena and you could attract notoriety to yourself. You also have the ability, Pat, to upload native 
LinkedIn videos that can show you to be a subject matter expert or at least a practitioner of your craft or skill, whatever it is, by talking about it. Or you could show instead of tell. And it doesn't matter how big the numbers are here. The point is that you have proof. You have a body of work that you have complete ownership of that nobody else has their hooks in that can show your skills and your capabilities. Almost sounds like you're telling people that they need to build a brand, personal brand. More than anything, I'm telling them they need to build a, a body of work that they have ownership with. Yes, I believe in personal branding, as so do you, Chris Ducker, friends of ours, and it's worked. But I want them to understand that a personal brand isn't being a Kardashian because they'll have so many people telling them that building a personal brand, you're not a bottled water, you're not a product. Mm-hmm. But I want people to understand that an employer or someone offering you an opportunity will give the same scrutiny to you as anything else that they're making a buying decision around. And how are you positioning against that? Your personal brand is your personal power and your body of work, your reputation, the influence that you have, and it's your credibility. And a degree and your previous employment may not cut it if there's something that happens as a cultural shift in the market to undermine those things. And people need to be prepared for that. And I believe that when you, I mean, I'm, I was a graphic designer. You were an architect. When we went out, we had to bring our book and then it's evolved to you bring your book. You have your website for people to find you and to reference you. But also we know that if you have some people that are in your network that can vouch for you, that's always been the case. That's why some people go to a great name brand school is they want the network. They want the credibility, right? They mm-hmm. want that um, brand association, but they also know that there's a little bit of nepotism in hiring so that if the right person can walk you to the door, you can bypass the application process, skip to the interview. Your personal brand can do that without the same amount of financial upfront investment. If that's the barrier, then you could supplement your lack of money with time because, you know, between you and me, Pat, people could develop a new skill, but they may not have the ability to go to college and get a degree that says, hey, I have this skill and I've been vetted and I put four years in. Mm -hmm. But if you just have a body of work of 25 pieces of work, from the standpoint of someone like you or I, that's like, I need this thing done and I've got two weeks to find someone. What they show us is much more important to us than a piece of paper because the piece of paper doesn't help our customers, our clients, our audience. The execution does. So we just need to see executions. All right, let's do a little thought experiment here. I'm going to challenge you, Bert, if that's okay. Oh, I love this. We're going to take the DeLorean back into time, you and me, mm-hmm. and they can't see me but they can see you. And we actually go back to the day I was laid off and you see me back in 2008 crying and you kind of wait till I finish crying because, you know, I'm in a very (laughs) emotional state at that point. But then, you know, I, 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 I get up and I'm like, all right, what do I do? And I see you and I go, Hey, Roberto. And you tell me what you do and, and how you help. And the fact that, you know, now that I have this layoff coming in two months, I have an opportunity in front of me, but I don't even know where to begin. What would you tell me? The first thing I would start off with is like, Pat, tell me what is that you want? What is it that you want out of life long term? But also if you could have your wish other than getting the job back in the next 60 days, what is it you actually want? For me, more than anything. So you're talking to to younger me now. Yes. Um, So first of all, I'd be like, where did you come from? But also I'd be like, yeah, okay, okay. What I really want right now is just to survive because I have this wedding that's coming up. I, I need money soon because it's going to go away in two months. And I don't know. I just need something. I would love if I had a magic wand to be uh, doing something creative because I came from a world of architecture and actually in architecture, um, I was working my way toward that point where I can start to be creative um, and that's what made the layoff even more dramatic was I was getting close to that point where I could finally start to have a say in what actually things look like versus I was just doing the grunt work of creating, you know, blueprints and, and CAD files and stuff. I was getting there. I was I was on my way and to get that taken away from me hurt a lot. So I'd love to do something where I could create and and share and and have people benefit from what I was doing. And, and you know, if it was architecture or design related, that'd be awesome because that's my passion. Um Where would you take me from there? So from there, I would tell you, Pat, get a piece of paper and we're going to do some homework here. First of all, I want you to 
make two columns and I want you to call one practicality and then the other creativity. And in the practicality column, I want you to come up with how much money you need to survive right now, how much money you need to be comfortable every month, and also how much money you need for this wedding and the things that you're getting ready to do. Mm-hmm. And so that way we have a specific, clearly defined number that we can attack. And if we have that clarity, it can reduce anxiety because we can make that manageable. We can break that down. We can figure that out. But then for you to be emotionally satisfied and fulfilled creatively, I want you to write down the things that make you happy and that you like spending time on and that would let you feel satisfied and like you're sharing things because I'm sure we can carve out time for those things too and that you can balance these because that's the goal here. But we have to make them specific. That way, if it's not an abstract, we can take action. I love that. I mean, I think the, oh gosh, a really important part of that is the practicality. This is 2018 pat talking now um the practicality part is really really important because i mean I, I know a lot of entrepreneurs who have been in business for years and they never feel satisfied because they just they don't even know if they've reached their goals or not because they didn't even have goals right exactly. and when you or when i talk to somebody who's just starting out that's usually the first thing i ask them is like well how much money do you need because really i mean when you're in that desperate time you forget about being practical sometimes because the emotions take over so i'm I'm very appreciative that you you shared that so let's say i was like okay well i just need you know what i what i lost so you know i was making twenty five hundred dollars a month at that Mm -hmm. point and so i would say you know two thousand to twenty five hundred dollars is what i would you know just that that would relieve me of any pressure because that's the number one concern i have right now is just like i don't have i'm not gonna have any money coming in All right, so we know that on a breakdown, you need to make at least $100 every single day in order to survive. Well, first of all, now that I'm thinking that, when you put it that way, I'm like, no, actually, I don't. So this is even breaking it down even further, because I think a lot of people will do this exercise and say a number, but then when you break that down even further, it may not actually be true. Exactly. So... Maybe I focus on, you know, on, on, on the month in terms of rent, in terms of groceries, in terms of gas, you know, it would probably the, be the 2500 a month that you had, you was helping you be comfortable. It wasn't you were having more than enough to just get by. Right. And I told you earlier that number one thing is I just want to survive. Right. So what mm-hmm. would it take for me to survive? Probably, you know, at that time with the rent I was paying, you know, probably 1500 a month. Which means that, okay, for survival, it'd be $50 a month. But if we set the goal at 100 you could have a 50% failure rate and still survive. Hmm. I like that. But then yeah. my head is like, okay, this all sounds great, Roberto. Like, but how could I get 50 bucks a day? Nobody's well, hiring any a- architects right now. Like, this is, this is, like, I can't get back in. So you are an architect but that's your title in your career. If I asked you what your skills were, you'd probably say, well, I'm an architect and you might leave it at that. But architects have a lot of skills. You have the ability to use CAD software, which means you also have the ability to teach other people how to use CAD software, but we'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. But you have executions that you could do with CAD software. A single execution of something you can do, even in a two to three hour period with CAD software, given who uses CAD software, I would imagine that an execution with CAD software easily could clear $200, $300, or $400 on a singular execution as long as you can find somebody who wants that execution. And it would still only be a two- to three-hour thing to do. I also have Photoshop skills from creating you know, some of the design documents that were in proposals to clients and stuff. Exactly. So with Photoshop skills, there are plenty of Photoshop skills that have a 10 or $20 execution to them that take 10 minutes because someone doesn't have that skill. Because the thing is, you only have to be better at something than the person paying for it. You only have to be better than something than the person who's paying you for it. Exactly. You only have to be better in execution than the person who wants to pay for it because that person wants better or they don't have the time to do it. So your skill level 
only has to either offset their lack of time because that's their real anxiety point Mm -hmm. or you're incrementally better at it than they are or at least even if they perceive you to be better at than they are that's enough to say take this off my plate because i won't have to spend time on it and i'll get equal or better delivery from you and i get back my time this is worth that much to me because i don't want to deal with it i also have this uncanny ability this was when i was in architecture to make jobs more efficient so i was able to take something that took two hours you know with my team and in, in, in the office i was able to, to make it more efficient such that it would only take 30 minutes so i know that i was helping that company make more money because you were a great project manager i'm assuming mm-hmm. so automatically i know that you can go to at the time back then the websites were called different things you had odesk elance freelancer um i think guru.com still existed back then so you had all these websites where people were starting the gig economy and where people were hiring out for this for you i would go to the jobs and immediately filter by price and go to the most expensive ones and not the ones that go hourly, but that have a flat price attached to them. And then you would go in and you would slightly underbid by 20% pretty much anybody else for the same task, as long as it's a task that has hundreds of dollars attached to it. And then you know even if you get that one thing out of the way as a gig in your spare time that you um, might have cleared what you needed to make for the week on one execution, one task. And that's just using some of those skills. And then the other thing I would say is you could um, go online at this time. You said this was 2008. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in 2008, there's um, a slight chance that you might've been able to get into the YouTube partner program back then. Um, because they were still cherry picking the hen, opened it up to everybody, I don't think just yet. But even if they didn't, you could have used um, CAD tutorials on YouTube to try to sell a course that you could have made on your own for AutoCAD. And there would have been people who bought that because, as you know, it's expensive to go to college to learn to be an architect. If people can buy a course and get those skills, even when they're still like or the parents can buy it for them, even when they're in high school, they can see if they're any good at this affordably. They can learn the skill. And then maybe if they have to go to a community college, they still know that they got real training directly from someone who's a current practitioner of architecture. That would be worth it to at least enough people to maybe make you a few thousand dollars on sales. And it's your beginnings of passive income. And I would say you could do that. You could also sell this by because you have to have a website anyway. You could have a blog about this because then a couple of things happen. By you talking about this, And by also talking to your peers in architecture and maybe you start interviewing them and writing articles about them, you have people that you're, you know, getting more information out there and that you're excited to talk to. You're deepening your relationship with people that might be able, if you still want to stay in the game, introduce you to a new job opportunity or bring you into where they work because you have the ability to offer them exposure, the opportunity to talk about themselves, everyone's favorite subject. So you have a leverage point with, hey, it was so great talking to you and everything like that. Here are some things that are going on with me. You know, I was wondering what advice would you give me? And then people love to give advice. I I know I certainly do. (laughs) So maybe then they also, on the back of that advice, they choose to then go out of their way to help you. So a couple of things happen here. You're making the money to survive. You're still hedging your bets because you could stay in the game and you might be able to get a new job opportunity through working the network and working the attention in this 60-day period. But if it doesn't work out, you have a means of beginning to sell something. You have the ability to deliver on freelance services for your up-month survival cash, and now you're creating a product, a distribution platform, and a funnel where maybe you could get sponsorship or, you know, ad revenue from Google AdSense, things of that nature, by either building a blog or then a podcast or a YouTube channel, you're creating a media platform that allows you to, one, give attention and exposure to the industry and to other people working in the industry, which makes you enough of a name to where maybe you can attract an opportunity, stay in the game, or you can leverage this and monetize it 
And then you still have a creative outlet because you have to throw all your creative skills at this. So that helps satisfy a couple of things. It satisfies the practicality aspect of everything we're talking about. It future proofs you and still establishes you in, in your credibility, even if you're, you've got a countdown on staying in the game. And then it's building your network and your reputation. Dude, that was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, I, you know, I know this works because I did essentially that, but using information that I learned about a particular exam. Now, that didn't fulfill my, quote, creative side of things, but it was still something that was top of mind, something that I knew more than other people of. And I started to build a name for myself. I actually, I, I don't think I even mentioned this ever, but when that site grew, um, I had a lot of job offers as a result of me being the owner of that website. But I didn't even think about that because it, those came in at the point at which I didn't even want to go back because I was right. having so much fun as an entrepreneur. And uh, you had the autonomy, you had the freedom, you had control. Right. Yeah, I felt it for sure. But I, I could have definitely seen me going down an AutoCAD route and just to kind of push back a little bit. First of all, number one, is this something people can still do today? Because you had mentioned, you know, back in 2008, you could have maybe joined the YouTube partner program. Like, is that, is this all relevant information for today as well? Most of it is in the sense of the YouTube partner program from specifically that is they opened it up to everybody with no vetting in 2013, which is created some problems in 2017, 2018. And they changed it now to where you have to have at least a thousand subscribers and four, I believe, 4,000 hours of watch time, 4,000 hours of watch time, which is not that bad. It, it, like, um, it's not that bad. Um, but a lot of people who are small YouTubers do complain. But the thing is, you wouldn't be making sustainable money if you don't meet those thresholds anyway. So it shouldn't be discouraging that that's the vetting process now because you need – to make a significant amount of views to get the ad revenue money. But having the brand on YouTube is the direct opportunity to sell, whether it's merchandise, courses, or your services. So that's still practical. And today I would tell someone who is looking at YouTube as an opportunity that instead of like the ad revenue, you won't start making money day one, but you could make money day one if you sell something and you use this as um, the way that you would use a television program, you could, you know, be your own sponsor, so to speak. And it's an opportunity to build brand and to build traffic to something you want to sell and attention around that. The other thing I would tell them is that the same equipment and skills that you use as a YouTube creator, you can edit for other people and make a lot more money a lot quicker. Like our friend Caleb can tell you about that, that the money producing content and editing content mm -hmm. um, is very lucrative by itself. And for some people, that's more lucrative than the people who are trying to monetize that in the form of ad revenue, yeah, that's usually up front. Mm -hmm. That's so funny. It, it reminds me of a story of a guy named Matt Donnelly who uh, followed my blog a long time ago. I haven't heard from him in a while, but I remember him emailing me because he quit his job to do... To, to, he created an online course to help people use a program called SketchUp, which I actually used when I was in architecture. Oh, yeah. I and remember SketchUp. He, uh, he has a site called Master SketchUp. I think it's called .com. And he started to create YouTube videos on showing people how to use SketchUp, just like you were talking about with me and, and Kat. And he's built this name for himself, and he's built products and has created this brand that has been supporting him since then. So definitely definitely possible for sure. Um Let's let's go back to 2008, Pat. You tell me this, and I say, okay, this CAD thing sounds really interesting. You know, I have some skills in CAD, and, I, and I've learned a lot of things, things they don't teach you in school. Like, this is great. I can share this stuff. And, and it, it could, my head would likely be, you know, this would probably be a great opportunity for me to, you know, create something so that when I go look for another architecture job, I'm going to have that much more ahead. It'll keep me practicing AutoCAD along the way, so it'll hone, it'll make my skills even better. But then I go, and I look on YouTube, and I say, wow, there's a lot of people doing CAD stuff already, like, and it, it's so much better than me. I've never done this before. Like, I, I should probably, that, that's probably a sign that I shouldn't go down that route. I would say to you, but no one's doing it your way, Pat. No one's doing it your way, and no one's doing it the way that you will teach it. And there are other people like you out there. 
every single one of us is a misfit and we can attract the other people that fit the same misfit mold as us. And that's enough because for all of the people that are out there that are already doing it, that's not to say that people don't want something else. This is just all they have as an option. Why not present them with another option and allow the market to decide? Mm -hmm. I like that. Dude, great thought experiment. Thank you. You crushed it. I appreciate that. I hope that was, um, you know, I've been really enjoying the process of just random thought experiments. If you've read Will It Fly, you know, in the beginning, there's three in there for you. It really puts context into some of the decisions that you might make. And I hope that was helpful for you. Now, as it we, was, and I, I love that, and I love when people give me these kind of like challenges. I love it. That's my role here, man. Like, I'm going to start doing more of that to some of the interviews, uh, to people who come on for interviews, because you know, I think that really helps a person shine on what it is that they're really good at, and it's very obvious that you know how this space works and can help people who who are, who are in that position. So, thank you for that. Um, yeah, as, absolutely. As we finish up, and again, a reminder. Go to the show notes page, click on the link, or actually look and watch uh, for the video of, of Roberto in, in the Tesla. He talks a lot more about these kinds of things. And we talk a little bit more specifically about YouTube in that video, but also we get into your story. I highly recommend people watch that. So don't forget. But as we close in, you know, you are somebody who creates a lot of content. And just like we were talking about when you're getting started, I mean, that's one of the best things you can do to make a name for yourself, to have a position in, in a particular space. Um, but you've been doing it for a number of years now. Can you go over your process of content creation and how you are able to keep up with it and, and still be creative? Because that's that's the big worry I have is like creatives might hear this episode. They're going to go out there and, and they're going to feel now that like the thing that they enjoyed before is something they don't enjoy any longer because it becomes a job. Um, how do you speak to that? So me, I, I always challenge myself to play the game differently than anybody. I understand the concept of the content treadmill, the YouTube treadmill, mm-hmm. um, and now I'm hopping on the podcast treadmill. But I, I figured out something interesting. For me, I prioritize what has my attention and my excitement. And then I think about how can I make that evergreen, quote unquote, evergreen, everlasting? How can I make that relevant at any given point in time? And so I pick the combination of excitement and evergreen so that no matter when this goes out or how long this is out, it has value for other people. And it's also creating value for me. So for me, that's a thought exercise. That's a thought exercise of what's the Venn diagram look like of that. So uh, I do that. And then I jot that stuff down in my um, Apple notes or in my Trello and I keep track of it and it happens throughout all the day. So I use my smartphone to just keep track of inspiration and things all all day, every day. I bookmark things in like Instagram that excite me and that motivate me because it will trigger an idea later. And then I can, you know, siphon uh, the idea for content or something from that as time goes on. Or I have a conversation with somebody and I'll make a note or I'll like make a quick Apple memo recording. So I I use the things available to me in terms of time and technology in a very efficient way. And that's why I think um, is my secret. My secret is efficiencies. And that very moment to moment thing. But then I systematize that. And what I would say to someone, especially if they don't have all day to set their own schedule the way I do, I would tell them, well, if you know that you have an hour of quiet time before the kids come home, use that time to either record your podcast or film your YouTube videos while you have that quiet time, because it's something that requires quiet as part of the delivery of quality. So you have a controlled, quiet environment in that window of time. When things are noisy and the kids come back home and everyone's screaming, that's when you put your headphones on and you edit if you if you have the moment to do that because then you're batching the priority of, I don't need it to be quiet. I can make it quiet enough to do this other thing and the quality will not be affected by the environment. So I, I, I look at things very practically like that. Now for me batch recording is three to six videos back to back. I have the stamina and the energy for that. Not everyone will, but I also know what I'm going to talk about because I'm only talking about things that I know and that I'm comfortable with. So I don't have to do a lot of granular research except unless I'm doing a product review to just get that information right. But even on that, I might cheat and just pull out my smartphone, read the specs off, and then put B-roll footage of the product in front of that 
to cover. Mm-hmm. And so that's a hack, right? But what I did was I just looked at what is it that I want to deliver on? What's the volume in the early ish days, I went to seven days a week of content for a while. I did that for like over two years. And that's where a bulk of my content came from. I've scaled back since then. We'll ramp up again once I start outsourcing more parts of my my day because with between Awesome Creator Academy and Create Awesome Media, like there's a lot on my plate. I still do majority of this by myself, too much in fact. But I'm changing that. That's the twenty eighteen goal is cool. to hire my Power Rangers and mm-hmm. to and to deal with that. Um, with that said, what I would tell someone who's in that position of wanting to get into this is that they don't have to do daily content. They don't even have to do weekly content pack. I'll give your audience a really cool hack. If you want to own a space and if you want to be the Netflix of your niche, you could just do seasons and you could just do seasons of content. You could do 10 episodes like Game of Thrones. You could do 15 episodes or whatever, like House of Cards of something, whether it's a podcast or whether it's your YouTube videos, and do that in cycles. And you could do a season, a quarter, or two seasons a year and know that like you just have it. And then you have a packaged, finished thing that you could market year-round as season one. And then it doesn't matter if you put out anything this week because you have something that is binge-watchable anyway. This plays to the YouTube algorithm. This plays to respecting people's time. This plays to the psychology of, I signed up for this. Versus if you do the one a week or three videos a week YouTube thing, you could be hit or miss because people may not care about the topic or this thing or that thing or may not have time that day. But with a series and something episodic, it's built in for people to come back. And it's a great marketing strategy for distribution of something and you can create buzz around this if no one in your niche has created serialized content like this so i would tell anyone that's looking to get into the content game that there's a lot of angles to tackle it with and that's why a lot of what i focus on when i work with people whether it's brands or whether it's people building and developing their own personal brand i tell them to really look at this concept of episodic serialized content as a really good starting point for launching something and that they can always add to it or set themselves on a schedule later. But that if you in the first 30 days are releasing 10 episodes and that's a season, then that's a really good strong launch for the month. And then you can go the quality and quantity balance route, but also gives you a clear objective. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I like that clarity. I like the concise nature of that. And it also sets expectations for an audience. So I, I would tell people that's a strategy that they could use to, to get started or even to grow if the treadmill feels too intimidating. I like that. It, it, it seems more doable and there aren't the pressures of you know staying long-term consistent every single day or every single week, but just in short bursts and i think that's how most people work anyway is in a burst here and and a burst there and it's playing to how a lot of us consume content these days we do bursts of podcast listening or we do a full season of you know stranger things and then we're done for a while so i really like that i haven't really heard that specifically for uh youtube and it's happening more in the podcasting space now as well so that's that's great dude we could talk forever I feel like, but if you want to continue and, and, and hear Roberto and I uh, talk, obviously head to the show notes page. I'll give you the link in just a minute and watch that Tesla video because it's a lot of fun and we get to know even more about Roberto and hear some of these. I mean, you just heard a taste uh, here in this of, of, of all the little tactics and stuff that are really, really helpful. I've implemented a lot of what Roberto has taught and it's definitely paid off. And I'm thankful that he's a good friend and, and we chat and um, he, he every once in a while just pings me and says, you know, Pat, like, I think you should do this with the description of your video because I think that'll that'll work out better. He, he really cares. He's such a nice guy. Roberto, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think it was a great introduction to, to you and I hope a lot of people follow you if they wanted to. And I know they will. Where should they go? All right. So they can find me at Roberto Blake pretty much everywhere in social media. If you want to check out the YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash Roberto Blake two. And that is the number two. And then we also have some great content for you over on the blog at awesomecreatoracademy.com. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Pat. Take care. 
All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Roberto Blake. Again, you can find him at robertoblake.com and also you can even learn a little bit more about him in the video that we created together. Tactics in a Tesla is uh, one of my YouTube series and you can check it out and watch it on the show notes page if you go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 317. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 317. That'll take you there. And again, Roberto, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with us today. And uh, that thought experiment was a lot of fun. I'm glad you enjoyed that and I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Like I said earlier, if you haven't subscribed to the show yet, make sure you subscribe right now. And also, I want to mention, uh, just you know, speaking of creating awesome things, I want to give a big shout out to Nathan Berry, the founder of ConvertKit, who you may have heard on the podcast a while back. Uh, his company, ConvertKit, which is the email service provider that I use, um, has just passed the $1 million MRR mark, which is $1 million monthly recurring revenue. And it's at no surprise because he did a lot of things right when building his business from the ground up. I mean, he, he did bootstrap it. He didn't get any outside investing, but he did a, he did a few things uh, right. And one of those things was creating not just a great product, but a great support team to go along with it. And this is why I'm an affiliate for the company. This is why I'm an advisor for the company as well. And this is why I was able to get a special deal for you. If you are building your email list and you don't have an email service provider yet, you can get started with ConvertKit with a 45-day free trial. That's not available anywhere else. 45-day free trial. All you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash ConvertKit45. Again, smartpassiveincome.com slash ConvertKit45. And that'll get you to access to the 45-day free trial. And by the way, that is an affiliate link, just full disclosure. And I am an affiliate for the company and an advisor too. And I wouldn't be if I didn't love it. So I know you'll love it too. Smartpassiveincome.com slash ConvertKit45. Hey guys, thanks so much. I appreciate you listening in and make sure you subscribe to the show if you haven't already. We got a lot of good stuff coming like next week's episode where we talk to a student of mine who is finding uh, her stride right now. And you know that's one of my favorite things to do. I'm gonna be doing more of it. Uh, so make sure you, you, you listen in because it's a good one for sure. It'll, it'll help you uh, expand your mind, that's for sure. All right, thanks so much and I look forward to serving you in next week's episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.